0: Welcome back to North of Shy, the Baird and Warner North Shore podcast. I'm Eric Schwinger, and I'm Ian Robinson, and we're here today, just the two of us, no guests and no other hosts, to talk a little bit about uh, buyer agency. Uh, this is kind of a hot topic right now because some of the rules and regulations and code of ethics have changed recently regarding buyer agency, and also uh, there's a couple lawsuits out there between the DOJ and. Uh, the National Association of Realtors that uh, may impact buyer agency and how agents should be talking about this and dealing with this subject with their clients. So um, Ian's here to provide a little bit of insight because he's kind of the rules guy that I know. um, And he's going to share with us some of his thoughts on these changes that are coming down the pipe. I don't think of
1: myself so much as the rules guy as the trying to help agents keep out of trouble guy. <laughs> the, the, you know, the stay out of jail guy. Yeah. yeah I yeah. like it. And sometimes people think, oh, well, you're, you're always, you know, trying to be, you know, so perfect with the rules and everything. said, so, no, I'm trying to make sure that agents don't get in trouble with IDFPR with the realtor associations uh, with MLS is with anything else. And that's um, great.
0: And that's thankless work because most people look at you, and they're like, why do I have
1: to follow all these rules? Right. But you're doing it for, for that's, us. Right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And if you've ever gotten in trouble and you've got you, you wish that you had somebody that helped you stay out of it. That's, you know, that's <laughs> what, that's what I try to help with. But anyways, um, it is, it should be known by everybody, but people have either forgotten or they're not really paying attention that the realtor code of ethics did change in January of 2022. And the realtor uh, code of ethics changed to say that you cannot say that any services offered to anyone, including buyers are free unless you are literally not being compensated by anybody. So that means you can no longer say in a social media post, um, which I just saw some last week from some area brokers, uh, you can no longer say, uh, you know, work with me, it doesn't cost you anything. Work with me, Mr. Buyer, my services are free. You can no longer say that because you are getting paid by somebody in the transaction. What you could still say is you can contact me for a free, no obligation CMA on your property. That's fine because you're not getting paid to do the CMA. Typically, if you are, then no, you can't say that. But if you're not being paid, you can still do that. But you cannot say that my services to buyers are free. So that code of ethics change is something we need to make sure that you're paying attention to and keeping that out of your marketing and also keeping it out of your discussions with clients. Um, and then the next thing is all these lawsuits that Eric was mentioning, which hopefully you're all aware of. There's lots of news in Inman and other real estate related things, as well as The New York Times and you know, different uh, national news publications about this. So part of the reasons that that code of ethics change happened was because of the, the settlement between NAR and the Department of Justice. And uh, recently, the Department of Justice tried to um, reopen that after settling it. And that caused some more confusion because people thought, well, since the court said that the DOJ couldn't reopen it, that that meant that the change to the code of ethics didn't have to stick. It's changed. It's there. It's not going away. So that change is still there. So these lawsuits are basically, and there's several of them around the country, they are class action lawsuits of groups of home buyers not wanting to have had to pay or home sellers not wanting to pay for the buyers and, and, and um, the, trying to separate the commission between the two. And we're seeing MLSs across the country now starting to separate it and change rules so that the buyer's agents do not have to have any cooperating commission and that's caused a lot of agents in our here to go oh my goodness the sky is falling so there's a couple things to note with that first is that when we got rid of sub agency in illinois in the 90s and we instituted now there's buyers agency so no no longer is everybody working for the sellers now agents that are working directly with the buyer are the buyer's agent when we made that change everybody said oh my god nobody's going to get paid this is going to be a nightmare And the second thing to remember is that our MLS rule just says there needs to be compensation offered. The compensation can be a dollar. It doesn't have to be, you know, so, so functionally things are not really going to change that much. If a rule comes up that says that you do not have to offer a buyer brokerage commission. However, that being said, we should all be using exclusive buyer brokerage agreements. Like we, we always should have, this isn't something new, most agents in our area just don't use them. But those agreements are for the consumer's protection and knowledge as well as agent's protection. But it also prevents a lot of issues that go on, that go on especially arbitration issues, where you end up with two brokerages fighting over who's going to get the commission and neither of them have a buyer brokerage agreement. That buyer brokerage agreement would, would basically eliminate a lot of that. And the consumers may think that that's not really impacting them. But the reality is if there is a hearing that consumer is going to be asked to testify or at a minimum provide some kind of written statement they have to be involved and it's a headache and it's a pain for them they don't want to do it so having the exclusive agreement saves everybody so much time agony and, and pain um so we should all be using them now anyways and when this change comes in our local mls which i am sure it will once these lawsuits are, are starting to get settled around the country, our, our, our MLS, I'm certain, will jump in and MRED will say, we do not want to have a lawsuit here. And now that we know what's happening with these, we're going to change our rules to match what is going to have to happen in those other areas of the country. So I think it's important to remember, we've been through changes before, like the subagency change and everybody thought the sky was falling. People need our help, right? And it's not going to change the amount that properties are going to sell for net to the seller, but it may change what the buyers are willing to pay because now the buyers are going to be providing commission and people are worried, well, you know, with the loans, how are they going to get a mortgage if they have a low down payment and they're, well, the the mortgage industry will change as they have in the past to accommodate some of these new things like, okay, we need to do something so the buyers can now pay the commission themselves, right? Right and the sellers will net less on the price because the buyers aren't going to pay the same price they are have been if they are now paying so at the end of the day it's really the same pool of money we're dealing with it's not going to change much but we all should be using exclusive buyer brokerage agreements anyways and definitely in the future we should so you might as well start getting used to that now and really uh thinking about what is the value of that not just to you and protecting you but for the consumer, saving them time, aggravation, and hassle. Wow. Uh,
0: So much great information there, Ian. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, I like to think of myself as pretty well-versed on this stuff, but you obviously have a real passion for understanding current events that are going on and uh, how that's going to impact our business and our industry. So thank you for all of that.
1: I'm happy to help. And I hope we have lots of listeners that are getting
0: some good value out of this. Absolutely. So you mentioned that the code of ethics has now changed. Uh, For those who maybe don't know who are listening, what would happen if you were found to be in violation of the code of ethics? Like what are some of the consequences there?
1: Well, the consequences would be fines, potentially additional CE requirement. Everybody loves taking their CE. So (laughs) having to do additional CE that you do not get credit for, uncredited additional CE. Um, are pretty much what you're looking at. And obviously I can't say specifically what it would be, but typically what I see on a first offense, if somebody is found guilty of, of a, a, a f- offense like that, and frankly posting it to social media in an image is like, there's no defense on that. I mean, there's there's the evidence you did it. There's no way around that. Um, typically first offense, $250 fine, maybe some additional CE. If you have multiple offenses, it's the fine goes up and then they're definitely going to add some additional CE requirement in there for you. Um, and depending upon what exactly the, uh, the violation was, it could go through the ethics citation program, which is an anonymous complaint um, that comes in and it's an automatic fine. And if you're found, if you're fined by them, unless they've done something wrong with their interpretation of the rules, um, you, you don't really have a chance to appeal it and, and prevail um so that's typically what you're looking at for that as far as you know idfpr fines those can be tens of thousands of dollars for things um we're not talking about an idfpr fine for saying that something is free that is from nar so that's a code of ethics right yeah yep so you've got kind of two governing bodies here the the you're governed by the
0: code of ethics uh and then you're also governed by idfpr with license law right so you've got to be aware of both of those things and
1: and M um, and, and MRED rules and MRED rules of course and fair housing rules oh yeah of and, course yep. uh, and, the, and the new <laughs> just housing you know rules and for mm-hmm. Illinois for all rental properties yeah so um,
0: actually that's a really good point maybe we should mention that I mean we're we're here talking about buyer agency primarily but uh, there has been another recent rule change and that has to do with uh, protected classes under fair housing law so as of January first twenty twenty three. Uh, source of income has now become a protected class under the umbrella of protected classes in the entire state of Illinois. So prior to January 1st, there were some jurisdictions like the city of Chicago and Naperville and a few other jurisdictions that had this source of income protection, but more broadly throughout the state of Illinois, source of income was not a protected class. And what we mean by source of income is how somebody is going to be paying their rent, right? So if somebody has, uh, Uh, HUD voucher or what we commonly refer to as Section 8 vouchers or alimony or VA benefits or anything like that, child support, if they have those sources of income, those sources of income need to be treated exactly like uh, employment income would be treated. So you can't say as a landlord or as a real estate agent representing a landlord, hey, we're not going to work with individuals who uh, have or we're not going to work with individuals who get VA benefits because we want the income that they're going to be paying the rent with to come from employment. You can no longer say that anywhere in the state of Illinois. So um, that's a really good uh, reminder that uh, this is now something that we need to be really aware of as real estate agents if we're working with landlords uh, because um, you may not intend to discriminate, but uh, the intent really isn't uh, what's at stake here? It's if your behavior leads to a discriminatory effect, you can be found guilty of um, of house, fair housing discrimination. So,
1: yeah, yeah. and that would go to for if you're going to choose to work with a client or not. You know, in the past, there were agents who said, "Well, I don't work with Section 8 tenants." Right? If you're going to work with a tenant that is financially qualified you need to work with a tenant that is financially qualified with a different source of income than a standard source of income. You can't say, well, because this is your source of income, I'm not going to work with you. So you have to be very careful in in your thought process about how you're, you're working with people. And we need to change our thinking. there's a real stigma attached to section eight. And the reality is there's some landlords out there that actually prefer section eight because they know that they're going to get the check from the government you know, for the rent and that, and that portion is covered. And sometimes it's the entire amount of rent, um, but it's money is money. And if they are a good tenant, that's otherwise qualified to, to lease the property, they cannot be turned away just because of their source of income. So that's definitely something we need to consider. Yeah. In there as well. Absolutely. So a lot of these
0: topics are bigger and more detailed than we're going to have time to go into today. So if you're out there listening, if you're a real estate agent, Uh, especially if you're a real estate agent at Baird & Warner, talk to your managing broker about these things. If you don't fully understand what's going on out there or you're just not aware of what's going on out there with some of these new rule changes, it's really important to stay on top of this stuff Uh, because if you're working with outdated information, you could be violating either the code of ethics or fair housing or IDFPR rules and regulations without even knowing it. Um, and ignorance is not a defense, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and you also have to consider where you're getting your information from, because sometimes people will, will try to get advice from someone in their company. could be a managing broker or otherwise in their company. And that person is not fully up to date. So make sure that you're getting information from people that are involved with the board, that are following the news that go to the Illinois realtors professional standards training on a regular basis. I mean, I've been myself eight times out of the last 10 years. Wow. Um, to, to that yeah. training, you know, so I try to stay on top of that, but make sure you're getting the right information. You know, I frequently get managing brokers from Baird and and other companies that call me and ask me questions. Yeah. And it's amazing what some people out that are not with Baird and Warren are out there don't understand. It, yeah. it really is. Absolutely. And I'll also give a little plug here to the
0: Illinois Association of Realtors legal hotline, Um, Betsy Urbantz, the uh, attorney on retainer for Illinois Association of Realtors, is wonderful. Uh, The hotline, you can just Google uh, Illinois Association of Realtors legal hotline and you'll get either a phone number or an email address. You can submit uh, questions either way. uh, And they're fantastic at answering these kinds of legal questions and giving advice in terms of what you can and can't do and what you can and can't say. Uh, So utilize that resource. You're paying the IAR dues. You might as well leverage some of the resources that they're providing.
1: Yeah, they, they are absolutely fantastic. Just be aware that when you get a response from them, it will always be accompanied by this is not legal advice or, or, <laughs> right. or, you know, a recommendation in any way, because they have, you know, they have their, uh, their ease that they need to, <laughs> right. they need to put in there, but you should get the information that you need or get pointed towards where the information is. If you contact them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're very responsive and they, they've always gotten back to me really quickly when I've submitted questions there. So Take advantage of that stuff. And also your local boards, guys, your local boards have a ton of this information. Um, So, you know, don't ever hesitate to reach out to these associations that you are part of because they're there to help you. They are your voice uh, and they're there to help you understand um, all of these kinds of things, code of ethics and license law and all this stuff. So they're there for
1: you. So definitely take advantage of that stuff. Did you have anything else you wanted to add Ian? No, I think that was really it, is making sure they understand code of ethics changed. We need to make sure we're not saying that services are free when they, when we're getting paid by anybody. Yep. And all of us in the industry should be using the exclusive buyer brokerage agreements for our benefit, but also for the consumer's benefit. And to really make sure that we are putting down on paper what our relationship is with the client, and that will prevent a lot of hassles and struggles later. And when the when the laws change and stuff, um, or the or the MLS rules change, we'll be prepared for that if you're already doing it. Yep, great stuff. All right,
0: thanks very much, Ian, for that update. And uh, we will see you guys next time on North of Shy. Thanks for joining us.